0: All right, church, it's so good to be with you today. My name is Halim Sa. I serve as one of the pastor's elders here at the Stone. Uh, Just a couple of announcements before we get into the text today. As you know, we're a church um, that exists so that we can love God, love the church, love the city, love the nations. And in order to help you do that, help us do that, uh, some amazingly gifted writers from across our church have written a book called Words for Winter. It's beautifully written, it looks beautiful and it just stirs your heart to love Jesus more and you can get a copy of that. Also see other Christmas service opportunities by going to austinstone.org Christmas. And second, just as a reminder, much of what we're able to do as a church, much of the mission that God has entrusted us to do we're able to do, especially because of your giving and your generosity towards our church during this Christmas season. And so we'd love for you to do that, support the mission that God has entrusted to us by giving financially online at austinstone.org give or through the Austin Stone app or through the mail. The Bible tells us that Jesus, though he was rich, yet he became poor so that we might buy his poverty Become rich. And so let's respond to that kind of generosity we've received in Jesus by becoming a generous people ourselves. Um, Before we get into the text, let's pray, ask God for help one more time. Will you take a moment just to calm your heart? Just acknowledge that. This morning, God met you with new mercies. You're breathing today. Your heart is pumping today. There's oxygen in your lungs today because of God's grace. You're able to think today. Your heart is able to comprehend today because of God's great mercy. Wherever you're at, will you pray for those to your right, to your left, that God would show up, that by his great mercy, he would speak to them. Will you pray for everyone who's going to be hearing this word, that they would hear not my words, but the words of the Holy Spirit, that God would open the eyes of their hearts, that they would see wonders from his word. Will you ask God to show you wonders in his word? There are wonders in there. Will you ask him to show it to you? So Father, we ask you for that and nothing less than that, that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we may see wonders from your word, Lord. We ask you in the name of Jesus, amen. We've been working our way through the gospel of Matthew. This word gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion and it simply means the good news. And we talk about this gospel all the time, right? And what does it mean? Well, we could talk about it in numerous ways, but one simple way that we can look at it is that the gospel has two climaxes, as it were. It's, it has two main points that it's revealing, and that is Christ crucified. Christ crucified. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.23, but we preach Christ crucified. And he says in the next chapter, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Ever since Genesis three, when sin entered into the world through Adam and Eve, God made a promise. He made a promise that through the seed of Eve that he was going to send and provide a savior who's going to rescue us from our sins. He made a promise that he would send the Messiah, the Christ who would make the blind to see, the lame to walk and the death. To hear. He made a promise that he would give us a king, the king of kings who would make every wrong right and make justice roll down like mighty waters. And so the first thing that all of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are doing is to show us that Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the promised one that we've been waiting for. And that's what we happen, That's what we saw happening last week in the text in Peter's confession. Jesus asks his, his disciples, who do you say that I am? And what did Peter say? He said, you, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus praises and blesses Peter saying, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. What happened to Peter was that God revealed to him this first part of the gospel, that is Jesus is the Christ. Everything that Matthew has written from Matthew chapter one all the way to chapter 16 has been written to reveal to us this very same precious truth that Jesus is the Christ. He's the promised one that we've been waiting for. And Peter finally understood this part. Peter had the faith to believe that Jesus was the Christ, but we're going to see today that he didn't yet have the faith to believe that this Jesus was the Christ who would be crucified. He embraced the gospel in part, but not the whole. And so let's look at the text today, Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 through 23. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Look at verse 21. Matthew tells us, from that time. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples. From that time is a phrase that Matthew uses to mark a major transition. First of all, from what time? What just happened that is making this major transition? Well, from the time when Peter confessed, you are the Christ, right? From that time when it had been clearly revealed and from the time when Jesus' disciples fully grasped that Jesus was the Christ, from that time, Jesus began to teach them how he must go to Jerusalem to suffer and to die and to be raised up on the third day. Remember, the gospel in short is Christ crucified. And Peter and the disciples have come to understand this Christ part of the gospel, but now they needed to be taught the Christ crucified part of the gospel. Because the good news of the gospel isn't just that Jesus is the Christ. It's that he is Christ who was crucified. It's not just that Jesus is the king on a throne, but that he's a king on on a cross. Jesus is saying that I am the Christ. I am the Messiah, I am the king that you've been waiting for, but I'm not a king that you could have ever imagined. Like any other powerful king, he will conquer, but, he's, but his conquering will be through dying, not killing. Like any conquering king, he will triumph, but he will triumph through serving, not being served, not by taking up power, but by laying it down. He is the Christ but none like we could have ever imagined. He's not just Christ, he's Christ crucified. And so we're gonna be looking at not just Christ today, but Christ crucified, not just the king today, but the king's cross. In three ways, we're gonna be looking at the cross of Jesus. First, the necessity of the cross, the necessity of the cross. Second, the offense of the cross the offense of the cross, and lastly, boasting in the cross. First, the necessity of the cross. Read with me again in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. It says that Jesus began to show his disciples that he must, right. that he must go to Jerusalem to suffer many things, and that he must be killed. He uses this word must, and I want us to see that it's one of the weightiest words of Jesus recorded for us in the scriptures. Peter confessed, Jesus, you are the son of the living God, and what Jesus is showing us is that when it comes to our salvation, Jesus simply being God, Jesus simply being the son of the living God, wasn't enough. You see, Peter thought that simply recognizing Jesus to be the son of God and by committing to follow this Jesus for the rest of his life, that, that that would be enough. But when Jesus says to his disciples, I must suffer, I must die, he's saying, no, that's not enough, Peter. Me being God and you following me is not enough. Something else is required for you to be saved when it comes to Peter's salvation, when it comes to the disciples' salvation, when it comes to our salvation, listen, Jesus being God and our recognizing that and therefore our committing to follow him all of our days is not enough, is not enough. If anything short of the suffering and the death of Jesus was sufficient to save, don't you think when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane praying and sweating great drops of blood and asking his father, father, is there any other way? Don't you think the father would have spoken up and said, son, yes, there is another way. You must not go to the cross. You must not die. You must not suffer. Why? Because there's another way. Why did God the Father remain silent? If our moral efforts, if our commitment to obey and follow Jesus, if our repentant hearts being sorrowful when we sin, if those things were enough and sufficient to save us, God sending his son to the cross wouldn't be marvelous and glorious as we know it to be, but instead it would be cruelty in the highest form. It would be divine child abuse if it wasn't absolutely necessary, right? The only way that the Bible could ever say that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, is if and only if the death of Jesus was the only possible way for us to be saved. If I took my family, out to, Grand, out to the Grand Canyon and I told my family, Angela, the kids, this is how much I love you. And I jumped off the cliff and died. Would my kids say, oh, how father loved us? No, right? Death in and of itself cannot communicate love. But on the other hand, if we were in a situation where my dying was the only way that they could live and I chose to die, then they would know how much I loved them if my dying was the only way that they could live. The death of Jesus demonstrates God's love for us because and only because the death of Jesus was the only way that you and I could be saved. Jesus is saying, I must go to Jerusalem. I must suffer, I must die because there was no other way for us to be saved. Now think about this, death by itself, the death of just anybody couldn't, couldn't save. Jesus just being God, here I am, I am the Christ. That wasn't sufficient to save us. It had to be both Christ crucified for us to be saved. And so this is the reason that Satan did everything he could to keep Jesus from going to the cross and dying. We saw this earlier in Matthew chapter four, didn't we? at the climax of Jesus's wilderness temptation, Satan took Jesus to a very high mountain, it says, and showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And Satan, the God of this present fallen age, offered Jesus all that belonged to him, all that he was in charge over under one condition, that Jesus would fall down and worship him. Instead of going to the cross and obeying the Father, to obey him instead and not go to the cross. The deal that Satan was offering Jesus was the offer of all of his people without the cross. He was saying, you don't have to go to the cross to redeem your people, I'll just give them to you. Just don't go to the cross. Now I want us to stop and really try to think about the implications of this offer if Jesus would have accepted it, if Jesus would have said yes to Satan in that moment, Satan would have surrendered his reign of terror. He would have surrendered arousing our sinful nature all the time. What does that mean? It means that there would be no more abortions. It would mean that we would live in a world where there was no disease, no pandemics, the end of all wars, all poverty, and think about it, this was 2000 years ago. If Jesus would have taken the deal, there would have been no man stealing in Africa, therefore no slavery in America. There would be no racism. Loved ones you lost to cancer would still be alive. Babies that you lost to miscarriages would still be alive. There would be no human conflict or natural disasters. It would be paradise. And the best of all, Jesus wouldn't have to suffer and die On the cross, why in the world would Jesus say no to that? Why did he say no to that? Because Jesus knew after we've all lived our lives in this kind of a paradise, eventually, Eventually, death would come and hell would follow and Satan would have his claim on us once again. You see, Jesus knew without the cross, apart from his crucifixion and him becoming sin for us and dying on the cross to pay for our sins and rising from the dead on the third day to conquer sin and death forever, without all of that, there could never be an everlasting paradise. Without the cross, we could, he could have offered us 80 years, 200 years, maybe even thousands of years in this kind of a paradise without sickness or disease. But eventually, eventually death would come and hell would follow because because the sin that we all inherited from Adam wouldn't have been dealt with because the wages of sin is still death. We may be able to delay it but it was inevitable. Satan was offering a crossless claiming of his people, a counterfeit gospel, an imitation paradise, a kingdom without the cross. This was the temptation that Jesus felt all his life from Satan. But now, for the first time, he was hearing it from one of his own, Peter. Let's look at the next verse. Verse 23, 22, and Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What happened here? Peter was offended by the cross. He was offended by the cross. He saw the necessity of the cross, right? We saw the necessity of the cross, now we're gonna look at the offense of the cross. Jesus just explained the necessity of the cross, how he must suffer and die for our salvation. And then Peter takes Jesus aside and it says that he rebuked him for it. The sense of this text is that Peter took a hold of Jesus and forcefully drug him aside, right? This isn't just a rebuke, it's a get over here kind of a rebuke, you know? Peter spoke in a double negative in the Greek, ume. It was the strongest possible negation that you could ever say. Peter said, far be it from you. This shall never happen to you. And as strong as Peter's rebuke of Jesus was, Jesus's rebuke of Peter was even stronger. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What a day Peter is having, right? From blessed are you, Peter, to get behind me, Satan. No, and this isn't days later or months later. This is just minutes later. Jesus says to Peter, you are a hindrance to me. Literally, Jesus says, you are a stumbling block to me from being associated with the rock upon which Christ will build his church to now a stumbling block. But if we stop and think about it, isn't this our story as well? One moment, we're just all in with Jesus, perhaps on a Sunday morning like this, right? All in, but then not days later or months later, but by lunchtime, wheels come off, right? And why is Peter rejecting the cross so vehemently Well, on the surface, it seems very simple. Peter loved Jesus, he didn't want Jesus to suffer and die. But Peter's reasoning goes deeper than that. If a disciple knew anything, they knew this, that the disciple must follow their master. Peter wanted a Messiah that would take up power, not lay it down. He wanted a Christ who would go to Jerusalem and drive out the Romans and rule and reign and prosperity and abundance, why? because then that would mean he would get to do that. But if his master would have to suffer and die, then it would mean that he would have to suffer and die. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to go where he went, to do what he did. And without getting too much into next week's text, this is exactly what Jesus tells his disciples in the very next verse, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone, just his disciples, us, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There's a life that Jesus is calling us to. Listen, Peter embraced the fact that Jesus was God, but he had a preconceived notion of how this God should act. He knew Jesus was the Christ, but he had a preconceived notion of how this Christ should behave. He had his own desires, his own plans for his life, and it didn't include the cross. Peter didn't have in his life goals, suffering and crucifixion, but God did. God had a different plan. He had a different way. As Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, verse eight through nine, for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so Jesus says in verse 23, Peter, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And so just like Peter as Christians, it's not that we don't believe in God. It's not that we don't believe Jesus is the Christ. We do believe it, but just like Peter, we have preconceived notions of how this God should govern this world, how this Christ should rule over our lives. We have our own plans and our own ways. We have preconceived notions of how politics should go in this country, right? We all have preconceived notions of who God should put in the White House. We have preconceived notions of what kind of health God should give us, how healthy we should be. We never in our lives imagined that we or our loved ones could be taken out by a pandemic. It just wasn't in the plan. We have preconceived notions of how society should be, how people should treat each other with kindness and dignity not hatred, not racism. We have preconceived notions about the liberties that we should have, the rights that we should have as a church, as Christians in this country, not remembering that throughout most of church history, suffering and persecution was the norm, not liberties and rights. So let's not come down on Peter too quickly. How many times have we pulled God aside to complain to him? to rebuke him even. God, you're just not ruling and reigning the way that I want you to. You're just not doing things the way that I think you should do it. Why are you doing it that way, God? You need to do it this way. And the incredible thing about God is that he lets us. He lets us. He lets us complain to him What struck me about what Peter did was that there must have been such a humanity, there must have been such a humility about Jesus that Peter actually thought, you know what? I'm gonna pull Jesus aside and tell him. I'm gonna correct him. Can you imagine that kind of humanity? Can you imagine that kind of humility? Can you imagine the character of God that we could pull him aside and offer him all of our complaints, and he hears us. In our pride, we think if God would just get with the program and get in line with our plans and just do all that we would want him to do in the here and now, well then, the world would be as it should be. Paradise, as we could imagine it, right? And guess what? Jesus could have given us this paradise, remember? but he didn't. Everything that 2020 has so clearly revealed about what we so desperately want in this world, Jesus could have given it all to you, but he didn't. To everything we would want in this life, in a sense, he said no. Why? Because he chose to go to the cross instead. That's the offense of the cross. In a way the cross says no to everything you would ever want. But then the cross says no to everything that we would ever want. But listen, but it's so that it's so that it can say yes to everything that we could ever need. What if Jesus said yes to Peter? Peter, you have a good point. I won't go to the cross this thing that Peter is begging Jesus, this thing that Peter is absolutely saying, may it never be, this shall never happen to you. What if Jesus said yes to Peter? What would that have meant? It would have meant that Peter wouldn't have been saved. It would have meant utter disaster for Peter. Peter, without knowing it, was asking for himself utter disaster. That's the safety we have in the goodness of God. Imagine the utter disasters he saved you and he saved me from by simply saying no to us. By simply saying no, you don't know what you're asking for. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are different. I have a better way. Every time our good heavenly father says no to us, it's not because he's being cruel. It's not because he's holding out on you. He's saving us from the utter disaster of what we don't know. And this is where we can start going from feeling the offense of the cross to boasting in the cross as Paul says in Galatians six fourteen, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Peter said, far be it from you, Jesus, this shall never happen to you. And Paul Paul turns around and he says, far be it from me to boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. To the one thing that Paul is saying we need to boast in, Peter was saying no to. So why are we to boast in the cross? Because don't you see, church, by saying yes to the cross and by saying no to the counterfeit paradise that we would want for ourselves in this world. Jesus is saying to us, I don't just want you back, I want you perfectly back. He doesn't just want to heal your earthly disease. He wants to heal your eternal disease. He doesn't just want to delay your death. He wants to kill your death. He doesn't just want to bring a peace that can deal with all sorts of conflicts and strife that we have with each other. He wants to bring a peace with God. He doesn't just wanna give you some things and some stuff. He wants to give you himself. Satan was willing to give up everything. He was willing to give up everything he had because he doesn't fear our morality. He doesn't fear human utopia. He doesn't even fear our attempts at obeying Jesus. Satan is quite willing to let Churches grow and prosper with all of its liberties and rights. He's quite willing to let governments rule equitably for social justice to flourish and for family values to thrive just as long as there is no atoning sacrifice for sin. As long as the gospel of the death and resurrection of Jesus is absent, as long as there's no Christ crucified, Satan is willing to surrender to us lots of victories as long as they're crossless victories. The only thing Satan is deathly afraid of is the cross of Jesus because it's only at the cross that he loses his grip on us. And that's exactly what Jesus accomplished. Satan no longer has his grip on you, church. And so because of this great reality, a Christian doesn't just believe in the cross, we boast in the cross. We boast in the cross to the extent we say, this is the only thing I boast in. This is the only thing I put my hope in. This is the only way that I could wake up and live another day because of the cross. And Peter eventually got there too. First Peter one, verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter speaking. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Peter is saying the cross of Jesus was the only way. He's saying it was only through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that we got to be born again to a living hope, he says, to receive not a counterfeit temporary paradise, but what? But one that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And so Peter glories in the cross. He's now rejoicing in the cross. And so he says in verse six, in this you rejoice. Church, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter is saying, the cross we're called to bear Whenever you're called to bear it, it won't be arbitrary. Peter says, though now for a little while, if necessary, right? You have been grieved by various trials. Just like Jesus bore the cross, only because it was necessary, God won't flippantly call you to the cross. He won't flippantly grieve you. He'll only do it if it's necessary. I don't know what all 2020 has meant for you, but my hope is that one day you'll look back, for you to look back at every part of it, no matter how hard or painful it was, and say that it was necessary. My hope is that you'll be able to say, not in spite of 2020, but because of 2020, through the design, and purpose of God in 2020, that he has tested and he has proved your faith genuine. And Peter says, though now for a little while, for a little while if necessary, he's encouraging us that the cross, it won't be forever. Church, 2020 won't be forever. Pandemics Broken governments, racial injustices, it won't be forever. And in hindsight, when we're sitting around in glory one day, it will seem as though it was only for a little while. Imagine that day. You're gonna be sitting around in glory one day, reminiscing, talking about how hard and crazy 2020 was. And maybe, maybe other hard, difficult things in your life. As painful As hard as all those things might've seemed at the time, you're going to say it was hard, but it just seemed like it was only for a little while. It was for a little while. This was the part that Peter missed in Matthew 16, but he's learned it since then. That's the part that, what's the part that Peter missed in Matthew 16? Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes and be killed. And what? And on the third day, and on the third day be raised. Jesus did say he was going to suffer and die. But what else did he say? He said on the third day be raised. He missed the most important part. Peter missed the resurrection. Church, we may now, for a little while, if necessary, have to bear pandemics. Church, we may now, for a little while, if necessary, get sick, see our loved ones get sick, and maybe die. Church, we may now, for a little while, if necessary, have to live under broken governments. We may now, for a little while, if necessary, navigate the injustice and the pain of people and babies created in God's image, mistreated and killed, but it will not always be so because Jesus didn't just die, he rose again from the dead because there wasn't just the crucifixion. On the third day, there was the resurrection. Church, there's a victory and a glory that can only be experienced on the other side of war. There's a life, there's a flourishing that could only be lived and experienced on the other side of death. And so whatever pain you're going through today, church, whatever sadness, whatever cross, God's calling you to bear today. Know that God has promised to you that there's going to be a glory on the other side. There's gonna be a glory on the other side. And when that glory is finally revealed and we see that God had a purpose for it all, every single one, every single tear, he had a purpose for it when we see that it was all necessary. It will outweigh and outshine all the present pain no matter how painful it seems now. So that we can say along with Paul in Romans chapter eight, for I consider, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This momentary light afflictions are building up for us an eternal weight of glory that will outshine the sun. Let's pray. Oh Father, thank you for the cross we would have never chosen it. We would have never planned it. It's contrary to everything we would ever want. It's contrary to everything that we would believe in. It goes against everything that we would hope in. To lay down power. To serve, not be served. To be wronged to experience injustice, to become sin, to be separated from the one that we love most, to say no to riches, to say no to prosperity, to say no to the abundance of heaven forever. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Christ. Thank you for the son of the living God who came and not only showed us that he is God himself, but he was willing to be crucified. And so Lord, because of that, because of the greatness of the reality of the cross, of our King Jesus, we know that we can make it. We have a God in heaven who says to whatever we're going through, that he knows, that he knows intimately the pain. He knows intimately our suffering. He knows intimately everything we've ever lost. He's tasted of them all. And so, Father, just as you've been doing by your Son, through the Holy Spirit, will you hold us and will you lead us through life's various trials and pains until the day of glory where we will be able to say, I consider that the present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed to us. In Jesus' name we pray.